Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 103. This week's feature, Origin Game Convention, BGA Awards Edition. We'd like to thank our listener, Paul Nathaniel Mitchell, for this great feature. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. Hey, Anthony, we made it back! Woo! <laughs> and this is the insane fun we have at the table together at Origins 2016. A little insane. I had to All calm right. you down. <laughs> Well, it is Columbus, Ohio, which is insane. It is surprisingly insane, actually. It's not. <laughs> I've been telling people all week now. I was like, Columbus? Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> Apparently, Ohio has a pretty cool city in there somewhere. They do. So we just got back from Origins, and we wanted to put together an episode for you to let you know all of the great games that came out there. So don't worry, we're going to spare you some of the humdrum kind of in and outs of the convention, but we want to bring you the highlights, we want to bring you the best games possible, and for Anthony and I, it was our first Origins game convention, so we're still hyped up from the convention and all of the great games that we saw, and as Anthony said, Columbus, Ohio was a, a great town to be in, and we really enjoyed our time there, and I don't know, Anthony, what do you want to say about you know the food, the travel, all the people, the convention? Yeah, man, I thought this podcast was just about the food. <laughs> I'm not prepared to talk about any games. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where those photos are. I just got pictures of all my food. Well, that gives you a hint. Uh, I know that from the Dice Tower Networks podcast, there's a kind of a joke question of which convention has the better food. Is it Gen Con or Origins? And now that we've been to both conventions, I think Anthony and I can convincingly tell you that it is Origins hands down, right? It's not even worth asking. It's just a bad question. It's so <laughs> clearly Origins. Oh, Indianapolis. You need to get your stuff together. It's just not even close, guys. Yeah, it's it's an incredible scene. The Origins Game Convention, the main convention center, really kind of is the midpoint for the city. If you kind of go north of the convention, you hit every type of restaurant cafe bar candy shop that you can possibly imagine if you go south you get into this kind of corporate business you know sector with your chain restaurants and if you go further south well you're kind of out of luck but yeah outstanding food great service really friendly people and you know we had a great time right yeah it was fantastic it was weather was mostly good most of the time very walkable much better than our last convention experience where we were like 10, 12 miles away. Sure. <laughs> Cars were not required. I feel like we ate a different meal every single time. Also different than the last time where we had those noodles like six times. <laughs> um, fine noodles, but it got a little much. So, yeah, I mean, experience wise, it's fantastic. Sure. And not nearly as crowded as Gen Con either, which obviously nothing's as crowded as Gen Con. But it was just a nice relaxing entry to the convention season instead of getting crushed to death trying to get the last copy of Mysterium like last year. Sure. I mean, the city did have that kind of Truman Show feel where it's a full-fledged city 
And yet at the same time, there are so few people walking the street, even with multiple conventions, a gay pride parade going on, the Haunters convention going on. So there was a lot of craziness for that week. And yet at the same time, the city held it pretty well. There was good transportation. And as Anthony said, the convention center is enormous. And you never really felt like you were, you know, claustrophobic when you were, you know, in comparison to Gen Con, which every step seemed like your last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, I hope this is the right step because otherwise I'm never getting out of this chain that's going to take me down 15 rows. Yeah, Gen Con, it was, it took like an entire day to go through the exhibit hall Ooh, and yeah. probably another half a day. And I think this year they said another 40, like a 40% increase in the number of booths. So. Sure. We're not going to get to play anything, whereas <laughs> Origins, it was like 30 minutes around the room. And sure. then, you know, you spend more time actually looking and playing stuff, but it was quick. It's And it's just nice. It was a nice, easy, laid back. You get to talk to people, talk to designers, hang out, play full games. Sure. That's not a thing you get to do at some other conventions. You get to sit down and play the whole game instead of just like a first round demo. So much, much different experience. If you haven't been to a convention before, this is a good place to start. I would agree. A lot of the people that we spoke to, when we told them we went to Gen Con first and then came to Origins, which is kind of like their eyes just kind of bulged. They were like, wow, so this is very different from you. And we're like, yeah, this is incredibly different. Now, you're still going to run into a good amount of line traffic when you register. And there were some problems Origins had with some registration issues, their coupon books, and several of their other kind of hurdles to kind of clear before you can actually get into the convention hall but otherwise the convention hall was full of really friendly people and people really went out of their way to help you the main convention hall was split up into two areas you had the general kind of vendor area and then you had the gameplay area that also had vendors and tournaments for the most part that was fine i mean it was basically from like a 10 a.m to 6 p.m type of deal the rest of it was kind of open until pretty much until the convention center closed, which probably I think in some cases was midnight or even later. So you could stick around if you could find some people. And there was an enormous amount of table space to play games on, even though I think Origins didn't plan it that way. But if you were coming with a group of friends to just play some games at some tables and, and see some cool stuff as you walk by, this was a convention for you. So if you're looking for something that has some trade show feel and some new products and yet at the same time has that local gaming convention feel where you're just there to play games, Origins is definitely the right convention for you. For sure. Yeah, definitely start here. All right. So with that said, let's talk about what people were shouting from the tabletop. Shouted from the tabletops. <laughs> Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. So one of the highlights of the Origins Game Fair is their big, big, enormous Origin Awards. Now, we've talked about this for many years now. We've laughed about it. We've made, you know, whole skits basically around the Origins uh, Game Awards. But this year we were actually able to be there in person. And Anthony and I also voted in the People's Choice Awards. And that was kind of a thing, too, because, you know, that was a little bit unusual. Oh, yeah, that little booth in the back of the hall. Yes, that little booth in the back of the yeah, hall. Yeah, that was weird. They're, they kept telling you over the loudspeaker, hey, you got to get back here and vote. And the, you got a free token, so you could get into an event for free for that. I don't think we used ours, but we had them. <laughs> we still have uh, them. <laughs> it's probably, yeah, it's probably still my badge. So in the very, very back of the hall, there was 
like this little booth with like half destroyed games open on tables, nobody playing them. <laughs> and you could go in there and get uh, a ballot sheet, but you couldn't really find them because they were like behind the desk where the people were working. And then there was these four tables full of games, none of which were the nominees. Yep. <laughs> nominees were nowhere to be found. These were just the games apparently that had been given to Gamma for consideration for the awards, not the actual games that won the awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some of those were mixed in, but mostly just others. Nope. So it was confusing. I was like, wait, I thought the I don't remember any of these being nominated. Sure. There was no actual place to play them which is fine because you either played them or you haven't. Uh, and then the, the balloting was paper, which mm-hmm. was interesting. You could just have an app or a, an iPad <laughs> sitting out, I guess. But we did vote. We did do it. It only took a couple seconds. We made a you know a couple well-informed decisions and a couple based on our friend's predilection for RPGs. But, uh-huh. you know, and, and I think the end result was more or less expected. Sure. And it was fun. I mean, it was nice to be a part of the awards process. They actually had this big board that actually was tracking the votes. And I really felt bad for the people that had kind of by hand kind of check off these paper ballots. Because as Anthony said, there had to be a better system. It was unfortunate to see that they didn't have an area with the award nominees. Or even better yet, they didn't have a place where you could play all the award nominees before you voted because I got to imagine a lot of these games people haven't gotten a chance to get their hands on or this was the first time that they were in the U.S. So why aren't these games at least out on display if not being played 24-7 so that people could make an informed vote? People would feel you know kind of included in the process and yet it was this table of random games that were kind of submitted for nomination and didn't make it. Which is nice for us, I guess, generally to see them, but it, it didn't really make much sense. So later that night, we did get a chance to go down to the actual awards, and that was actually a lot of fun. They had a really nice room, and because we were pressed, they didn't know where to put us. <laughs> yeah, There was a bunch of tables. They're like, you could sit at these tables. And we're like, well, we could, but it's basically like a dividing line. Like There was the press tables that were these kind of long six-foot tables. And then behind it was, I guess, all just general gamers that were there to kind of watch the watch the award ceremony. And then in front of it were all these giant round tables with some of the sponsors and, and some of the other board game major media there. So it was kind of weird that there was a dividing line in that situation because there wasn't a gigantic crowd there. Uh, but it, it was nice. It was nice to be part of, and it was, it was a lot of fun actually, uh, for, especially for one particular reason, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. So the 2016 nominees, we talked about this before. We really enjoyed all of these games that were part of this competition. And so for example, the winner for best board games, if you didn't see our Twitter feed, which Anthony was kind of live tweeting at, at the, the ceremony, the winner was Star Wars Imperial Assault, which, Anthony, not a surprise to no one, right? No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, a little bit, just because it didn't come out in 2015. But yeah. I guess the, the time might have overlapped. <laughs> I think they have like a weird time scale with like November to October or something. So fine. I guess, um, if you say so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was, I think, the oldest game on the list to be yes. nominated for any category. Uh, I love it. I'm cool with it winning. It's just... It seemed like an odd one. Although the nominees in general was a bit of an odd batch. Just because yes, there's a always. lot of really, really good games that came out in that period. 
Um, all of these were good, but there was other ones out there that I'm surprised weren't nominated. But yeah, Star Wars. So now Star Wars Imperial Assault is with Fantasy Flight Games, which is now part of Asmodee. So you have Asmodee, you have Fantasy Flight, and now the person's coming up. One of the designers is going to come up and accept the award. But in fact, it was not one of the designers or at least one of the major heads of Asmodee of Fantasy Flight Games. It was a poor soul who had to come up and accept the award, did a great job accepting the award, and then about five steps down from the stage, then they announced the fan favorite award, which also turned out to be Star Wars Imperial Assault. So this poor guy had to turn around, walk right back up the stairs, and try to come up with a couple more seconds to talk, which he kind of really felt for the guy. It was, it was kind of you know humorous because it was like, oh, okay, that's, that's kind of funny. And now hold on to that because hashtag don't go anywhere yet because this this would this would continue this would be the the awards kind of running gag so for best card game they had a lot of great nominees and the winner was Seven Wonders Duel so the guy who just walked down walked back up and started walking back to his table had to walk all the way back up for the best card game and once again he gave a little speech. Did a really good job, real kind of big trooper, and then he starts to walk away, and then wouldn't you know it, fan favorite award, Seven Wonders Duel. Had to turn around right away, go back up to the stage, try to find something to say, and at this point, everyone's starting to get the joke a little bit, but wait, don't go anywhere yet, because the next category was Miniatures Game, and don't you know it, the winner was Star Wars Amada by Fantasy Flight Games. So this poor guy had to get up yet again, walk all the way up there. Once again, not directly connected to any of these games. You know, made a, talked about the game a little bit, talked about the miniatures, said a couple nice words, walked off the stage, hashtag don't go anywhere yet because Armada won the fan favorite award. So he had to go back up on stage, accept the award yet again, and then he was finally able to kind of sit down. Now for best collectible game, the winner was DC Comics Dice Masters War of Light, which was by WizKid. So thankfully, our friend did not have to come back up here yet again. And I believe that was also a fan favorite, Anthony? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I won both of those as well. Okay. So going back to the next category, which is Family Games. And, of course, the winner was Codenames. And, unfortunately, Vlado Chavado was not there. But... Someone came up and accepted the award on his behalf and talked about how no one was really interested in this game and how that's like, ha, 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 look how great I am. And obviously fan favorite was Codenames again. So hashtag don't go anywhere yet. That was our friend who came back here. So next up was Game Accessories. And the winner was Terrain Tiles by Lost Battalion Games. And the fan favorite was Castle Panic the Dark Titan by Fireside Games, who I got to meet at the convention for the first time very lovely people and then finally role-playing games and as much as anthony and i really tried to help out our colleague kind of push for a fall of magic the winner was star wars force and destiny so wait, wait, wait. who went up who did it <laughs> hashtag don't go anywhere yet don't go anywhere yet because he's coming back one last time guys <laughs> And he came up and he had to accept the award again. And, and and now at this point, the guy had more awards than you could possibly imagine. And and really, the whole crowd was really into it. 
And did he actually win the fan award? Yes, he did. He gave eight speeches. <laughs> this poor guy. He gave eight different speeches, and they were all pretty good. And he kept saying, like, oh, this is not the kind of thing I do. We were all very impressed. Because when the representative from CGE went back up, he's like, I don't have anything else to say. And that was, <laughs> which is what I would do. <laughs> I already said everything. I'm not talking anymore. But this guy was very impressive, very professional. Uh, so bravo to him. Bravo to Origins Game Awards for giving us even more entertainment than, than, than is possible for an award ceremony. And as I mentioned before, at the end of the night, they were nice enough to say that, you know, everybody with that was there in attendance could take a game that was donated by the several companies there. And Anthony was able to pick up War of Light, and I was able to pick up an expansion for Heroes of Normandy. And that was a pretty good night overall, wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. That was a nice little thing at the end there. They gave everybody tickets, so I thought it was going to be a raffle. But yes. in the end, they had more games and expansions than there were people in the room. Uh-huh. So everybody got something, and most people got something really nice. So they there did. was a few things left over at the end there. We forgot to mention, too, there was an Origins Game of the Year. Oh, yes. And that went to, I don't think anybody surprised by the smash hit game of last year, uh, Codenames, which... Mm-hmm. We'll see if it pulls in the spiel as well, but I think everybody's betting on that at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And people were really super supportive of that. I think you got a you know standing ovation for that too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's anytime a game is this big of a hit and now you're seeing it in all these different stores. I saw it at Target the other day. Like it's always it's such a huge thing. You know, like when it came out at Gen Con last year, it did sell out, but it was kind of under the radar a little bit. People were talking about it, but it just exploded immediately afterwards. So it's one of those games. It doesn't happen very often where you get like that big, big hit, but it's it's becoming that, um, mm-hmm. which is funny because it's not the type of game that Vlada is known for. Sure. And he's certainly published plenty of games. So it's it's kind of an interesting little one that's taken off. But first of many awards, I imagine. Absolutely. And it has that kind of mass market appeal that the industry is always looking for. So hopefully this game does so well outside that it'll bring more gamers back into the hobby for some kind of a little bit, you know, heavier kind of fare. Yeah. And it's got a brand that's growing. Uh, We'll talk a little bit later about what's next for Codenames. All right. So we talked about the award winners. Now on to the games that we're looking forward to getting, and who knows, maybe maybe the award winners for 2017. And now, our Acquisition Disorders. Acquisition Disorders? That's crazy! Only needs the base game, nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion, see? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game and the expansion and the promos, and of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion... So Anthony, we saw some outstanding games at Origins. Way too many to talk about in one spot. But what out of those games are you really looking forward to getting to the table and, you know, getting to play soon? Yeah, so I came in on Friday. Uh, my son's birthday was Wednesday, so I didn't get to come out for the full show. So a couple of the big, big, you know, major releases had either sold out or weren't quite available anymore. But that's okay. I got a chance to play a lot of these and demo a lot of them. They still have copies there. So I saw a lot of stuff. And so anything... In that vein, there's a lot of things now where I'm looking forward to grabbing a copy of Gen Con, or maybe they didn't quite have it yet, so maybe after Essen. One of those games that was not for sale at Origins, but they were demoing it, that looked very interesting to me, possibly more interesting than the original version, if possible, is Codenames Pictures, which is exactly what it sounds like. 
It is code names with pictures instead of words. Just that alone, you're like, okay, well, that seems easy enough to do. But the images that they have on these cards are very interesting. They're all very, very unique. I, honestly, I can't think of any good examples off the top of my head, but they had like dinosaurs combined with horses and like all sorts of weird things on there that were unique. So every single card would have maybe three or four different major things you could focus on and then a few other smaller things. And because there's no words, you get rid of the rule about not being able to say certain things. Now you can say whatever you want. Um, there is no word that you're not allowed to say because they're images and there's no real way to cheat. The cool thing too, and they were talking about this, was people think differently when thinking about words versus images. So you're going to play differently. You're going to approach it differently. Some people are going to be better at one than the other. Um, it's the kind of thing where the two could complement each other depending on the type of group you're playing with. This is now, it's going to become a language independent game which I think is a huge deal. So some people maybe felt uncomfortable with the original version of the game because, you know, English was the second language or they're still learning or they don't know some of the words or, you know, colloquialisms that might be used in some of the clues, which could still be an issue. But now you're just dealing with images uh, so you can be more literal with it. So it's interesting. I like the look of the cards. They're square now, uh, which is pretty cool. And that's coming out pretty soon. I think they're going to have that available at Gen Con. If not, full release is kind of the preview like they did last year. And it comes in a green box, so it'll complement your, your other box. <laughs> You'll have some bright colors on the shelf. But that's Codenames Pictures. Looking forward to that one. So one of the games that I got a chance to take a look at and demo a little bit but did not get to play full version was Star Trek Panic. Now, it is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, so this game and my next game is going to be Star Trek related. But... This game actually kind of combines a really solid game, Castle Panic, that might be on the light side for most gamers. But what Star Trek brings to the game, whether or not you're a Trekkie, is it brings in missions and it brings in theming that actually plays out in the game. So in the traditional Castle Panic, you're going to defend your castle versus these invaders that come in from all sides. But in Star Trek Panic, you're actually going to be playing cards and achieving missions that actually has a cooperative element to it in which you're actually going to be moving the ship through space. Now, obviously, the ship stays in the same spot and everything kind of moves around you, but you'll actually be able to turn the ship, see damage happen to the ship, and really play out the theme in a really kind of solid way. And I actually saw a lot of people playing this game who were not Star Trek fans, and I saw people coming over it as that were Star Trek fans and hardcore Star Trek fans, and were actually able to go through the missions and go, yeah, I remember this, this makes sense. And like I said, best of all, this game really plays out its theme, so whether or not you're a Trekkie or you're a Castle Panic fan, I think you're going to find something great here. It seems like a good match, yeah, with those two, and honestly, I didn't think I'd seen that many Star Trek logos uh in a game convention before it is they're they're, <laughs> yeah. they're going all out for the 50th anniversary which they should but i was surprised to see so many so the other game uh that i'd like to pick up at some point probably this is another one that they were actually selling this at origins so i could have bought a copy if i'd gotten there a little bit earlier but they were sold out by the time i got to the show and that is junk art this is the newest game the second release from pretzel games which is the z-man offshoot that makes big, awesome, wooden dexterity games. Um, so the Flick'em Up sequel. And th the game itself, like, so they had a giant version, which they did with Flick'em Up last year um, so that people could gather around and play. And it looks on the surface like you're just stacking things, which is fun on its own. There's lots of other games out there that do this. They do it well, but it's not 
particularly strategic. The reason Junk Art seems so interesting is that it has 10 different game modes in it and the 60 different components. So there's a lot of different ways you can play the game depending on the cards you draw and depending on what the other players draw and what everybody's doing. So there's going to be a lot of different things happening in each game. There's a lot of different ways to impact your neighbor. You might have different victory conditions. There's a lot of things going on here that you maybe wouldn't find in your typical stack them and knock them over type of game, um, which not only makes it highly replayable, but it goes beyond the whole dexterity element. And I think that's the key. You know, If you really want dexterity games to go beyond that line and to draw in hobby gamers, which is what pretzel games to some degree is trying to do, then they need to have those elements. And I think this game has a lot of those elements. So I'm excited to get it. I think it'll be fun. I just like having these types of games anyways, because they're great with the kids. I can have fun playing a game that my children can also play without having to change rules and or lose on purpose. Um, So Looking forward to Junk Art. That's supposed to be full release at Gen Con, so it should be easier to get a copy there. Similar to last year, um, what, like what they did with Flick 'em Up. So probably going to track this one down at Gen Con. It's a fun one, uh, and I'm hoping they have a the giant copy again so I can get a, another go at that. Yeah, the large copy of this game got a lot of attention. It was big, bright, and colorful. And I just got to ask, at what point are we actually going to see these giant versions hit the stores? Because... I don't know. If you're not going to the convention, you're missing out on all of the fun and especially the craziness of these giant pieces. And just like flick them up. I want the big versions. I don't care what they cost. Just give me the big versions. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about junk art is it just it was this giant like six by four table full of these huge pieces. The biggest pieces were probably a foot and a half long. Sure. The retail version, you know, they're a couple inches long because they have to fit in a box. Sure. And it's a wood uh, box. Yeah, they're doing the wood box again still. Mm -hmm. Um, So people who want to maintain that collection of nice wooden boxes, you still can. Uh, But there might also be a plastic version down the road like they did with Flick 'em Up. Mm -hmm. So we'll see on that front. But for now, I'm I'm excited about this one. I just like dexterity games in general. I'm horrible at them. But (laughs) so bad. (laughs) But I have fun. So that's what matters. All right. Well, on the other side of the Star Trek universe, from the very light to the very heavy... One of the games I'm really looking forward to getting to the table is Star Trek Frontiers. Now, this is a Vlada game that's been reskinned and rethemed and kind of reworked by Andrew Parks. And we got a chance to look at this game. We got a chance to chase this game. And we are still not sure if this game was out for release or not because some things said yes, some things said no. But it looks fantastic. Anthony, I know you've actually played Mage Knight, which is kind of a earlier predecessor to this game yeah so he was describing the game to us and i knew it was a re-implementation of mage knight but yeah. it is literally mage knight with star trek and they, they changed a few things it sounds like they streamlined a, a little bit there's no night and day now um <laughs> which is yeah makes sense you're in space of course there's no night and day but that does remove a couple of important mechanics that added a little bit of fiddliness to the game sure so i'm excited for it i i do like mage knight a lot i like the fantasy theme but you know, Star Trek, you got so much you can do with that, too. And the exploration theme fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it seems like from at least some of the sample components that we got to see, it has all of the different Star Trek universes, all the cards, all the missions, everything. If you're a real Trekkie, you're going to love this game. And if you're just a Mage Knife fan, but you kind of have some interest in a sci-fi universe and either you haven't picked up Mage Knight or you're just looking for the newest version... It seems like 
this is a streamlined, better working of that game. Yeah, and I think they said it comes out like the end of June. So as you're listening to this, it should be out like this week. That's great. All right, so that's everything that we want to hit the table. Now let's talk about the games that actually did hit our table this past week. And now at the table with BGA. So, there were so many games at Origins, and we got a chance to play a good number of them, but for this at the table with BGA, we want to talk about just four of the games that we got that really impressed us for their uniqueness and their gameplay, and just something special about those games that we're hoping that you get to the table, and we'll let you know if those games are a buy, a play, a dodge, or the dreaded burn. All right, Anthony, why don't you start us off? All right, so I'm going to start with the... I don't know if there really was a game of the show, but this is the one that people kind of hunted down the most. Almost entirely, I think, because of its nomination for the Spiel des Jahres. And that's Emotep. So it was from uh, Cosmos, names in Cosmos. It's the first time available in the North America, so hence everybody getting very excited about it. And I think they had like two or 300 copies available. So a lot of people got a copy, just not everybody who wanted one. The I did not get one. I just got a chance to play it. Uh, Emotep is... Very much a Euro um, in the classical sense. I think one of the people at the table when we played it said, this plays like a spiel game. And if you've been playing games long enough, you kind of get a sense of what that means. It's very accessible. The rules are very simple. Younger children could play it, but older strategy board gamers can get a lot more out of it too. There's not a lot of theme here, but what's pasted on or what's there is you've got ancient Egypt and you're moving stone towards one of these several different locations. There's temples and burial chambers and pyramids, and you get points in a variety of different ways. So everybody has their own stack of stones. I don't remember how many there are exactly. You start the game with at least two, and then increasing number based on you know who's first to last player. And each turn, you get to play either place a stone on one of the boats, and the boats change each round depending on a card you draw. Or you can move one of the boats to one of the locations, one of the temples, or you can restock your stone from the quarry. So those, And then there's also cards you can play, which will tell you when you're allowed to play them. So those are your four basic actions you can take. So your turn doesn't take very long because you're only doing one of those things. And you'll just go around the table and everybody does those things until all the boats have sailed. And once all the boats have sailed to the different locations, round ends immediately. The player who would have gone next goes first next time, and that's it. There's six of these rounds. Very, very, very quick. Um, I was surprised how quick, honestly. I think it took us about 40 minutes with rules, and the box says 40 minutes, so it's pretty much spot on. The interesting part of the game, um, like any good Euro, is that A, it's variable. The number of boats that come out and the space on those boats is different every round, and there's different cards in the box based on the number of players. So I think there's seven cards for each player, possible player count, and then there you only draw six of them. So it's always going to be a little bit different. And then the boards themselves, there's five different locations you can go, and they each have an A and a B side. So you start the game, you play them all A side, you get the feel of it, but then you can start mixing and matching or even just randomizing um, based on, you know, just to make it a little more replayable. Each of those different locations is a little bit different. You have the card location, which gives you these cards that have special powers, let you do different things. Some of them are set collections. Some of them are just putting more stones out. Lots of interesting things there. There is the option to, you know, in the version I played at least, the burial chamber where you place stones in a certain order depending on how they come off the boat. 
And then the more the more in a row you have, the more points you get. There's the obelisk where you stack them up. Whoever has the highest stack gets 15 points at the end of the game. Uh, there's a pyramid where they fill in on the pyramid in a certain order, and the board tells you what order that is. And you get points for different value points for different spaces on the pyramid. It's hard to explain, but it involves kind of trying to manipulate the order in which the blocks are going to go to the pyramid, which you can only affect so much because maybe you put your block in the right spot on the ship, but then somebody else sails that ship to a different location, and then you're out of luck anyways. So there's a lot of different things going on here and a lot of different ways that you can score points, but when it comes to your turn, you really only have a couple of options, so you take your turn quick. So it manages to take the variability of a good euro, lots of different things to do, lots of different thing, ways to make points, but reduce your options to the point where AP doesn't kill it. I mean, you don't just immediately suffocate under the weight of those decisions. There's a lot of good stuff going on. It's not the heaviest game in the world. If you're looking for a big, meaty, thinky game, this is not it. But if you're looking for something in that Spiel des Jahres weight class that's quick, less than an hour, accessible, has some good strategy to it, um, this is a pretty good game. I was very impressed. You never really know what you're going to get with something that hasn't really hit the shores yet. But it's uh, I liked it a lot. And uh, I will probably try to track a copy down at some point in the near future. It's a strong play. And we'll give it a couple more plays and see if it bumps its way up to a buy. But I think it's a, it's a good representative on the Spiel nomination list, even if Codenames probably has that locked down at this point. Well, the game I want to talk about is quite different than, than Emotep as far as the Euro is concerned. And it's called Potion Explosion. Now, this game was in prototype form back at Gen Con and is now in full production copy that you can actually not only get to play, but actually get to pick up. In Potion Explosion, you're going to be making these potions. Now, what's really interesting about this game is by far the theming. And the theming is colorful, it's cartoony, it's rich. And what you're looking at is these little kind of potion bottles that have spots for marbles. And those different spots for the marbles have different color areas which match up with the different colors of the marbles. And there are four different colors of marbles in this game and they relate to different kind of mythical elements. There's ogre mucus, there's fairy dandruff, there is unicorn tears, and there's dragon smoke. So in order to kind of make these potions, you got to match up all of the marbles to these little hard kind of cardboard potion bottle and then you'll be able to take the special ability of that potion board bottle now that doesn't sound too crazy because you've kind of done those kind of set collections before even if it's marbles it's a little different but what really stands out in this game is this 3d dispenser now the best way to describe this 3d dispenser is candy crush because what you're going to be able to do is you're going to place all the marbles that come in the game in the dispenser in this kind of like separator box. And then they're going to roll down five different rows of mixed colored marbles. So what you're going to do on your turn is you're going to pick one of the marbles out and place it on your board. But that's not it. Now, what happens is if two marbles of the same color touch each other from you pulling that marble, there is an explosion and you're able to pick out all of that color that matches that explosion. So if you pull out a red and two yellows touch, bam, you get those two yellows. But let's say there was happened to be four yellows in that row and those two yellows touch, you get all four of those yellows. 
So there is a little kind of strategic, tactical kind of choices to be made here as far as what colors you're going to take as far as making the best match for yourself, but also being careful not to set up a match for someone else in the game. Now, you'll also be able to pick up these different potion bottles to score yourself points and or to match up special abilities that will chain together, that will score you more points and get you an opportunity to actually get more marbles in this game. It's fun. It's light. It plays well with families. I think this game is going to be a big hit. It may be a little expensive for the number of marbles that come in this game, but I think this is going to have mass market appeal. And this could be a game that, cool many or not, is going to be able to kind of push towards the public. Whether it's kids, families, or even hardcore gamers, it was really fun playing with that marble dispenser and setting up those potions. Really thematic, colorful, beautiful artwork. And Potion Explosion is a solid play for me. Yeah, it's interesting to watch Cool Mini or not kind of continue their march towards more mainstream games. I mean, in the past, a Cool Mini or not game is not a game anybody but us and some of our listeners play sure. by. You're looking at, you know, $80, $100 for just a bunch of miniatures, which I think is amazing. But come on, you can't get that on like a Target shelf. Sure. I could see this game on a Target shelf. It's, you know, price point wise, it should be right in about the right area. And it's mm-hmm. just fun and quick and easy and colorful. And basically everything you said, it's perfectly great for kids. And it's a lot of fun pulling those marbles and watching them crash together and pull more marbles and watching them crash together. <laughs> um, a couple of times it, you you almost went too far. You're like, okay, I got enough marbles now. I don't want to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's it's quick and fun, and you never have to wait that long between your turn because you're just grabbing marbles. So it's a good yeah. one. All right, so my last one is not one I thought I'd be talking about uh, after Origins. I, there was a lot of other games I was looking forward to playing, and sub, many of them we did play, and we'll talk about some more later, but... This is one that I sat down to play, and I was pleasantly surprised enough that I wanted to discuss it a little further. Plus, we got to play through the whole thing, which is always nice. Um, and that is the newest version of Ascension. Ascension X for Extreme, I think. I don't know. Whenever I hear X, that's that's what pops into my head. With some 90s music, maybe the X-Men theme. Um, but we have the newest version of Ascension, and it adds a few new elements to the game. Um, it has that newer artwork style that we've seen recently in some of the expansion work that came out. So it's not that early artwork that was pretty divisive among some people. Um, it's a little more, it's a little softer. It's a little more, I wouldn't say realistic, but more pleasing to the eyes <laughs> as someone who wasn't a huge fan of the original artwork. And it adds a very interesting mechanic to the game, the day-night cycle. So every card now is either day or night. Um, and you can tell by, by the border and the, the layout of the card, there's a little moon or sun on it. And then the board itself has slots for either day or night. So as the cards come out in the center row, they will be placed either day or night. And then based on the number of cards in the day or night, it can be day or night, which can trigger effects on other cards. So if you have four day cards out and two night cards, maybe you have a card that gives you extra strength you know, for attack. The basic mechanics of the game are still the same. You are still building a deck. You start with your apprentices and militia. You are spending either the spirit or the the militia strength, the army strength to um, buy cards or kill monsters. None of that has really changed. It's just that now you can almost kind of power up your abilities um, depending on which cards you buy. 
And that's not to say you should go all night or all day on the cards. You really don't get that kind of option. But you end up watching other people's turns much more carefully because the balance of the cards that are on the board will affect what you, what you can do, but also what you want to do. The game also skews a lot more towards attack, so you're going to end up with a lot more attack strength, which is going to allow you to kill more monsters and get more of those bonuses, which to me was always kind of the more fun part of the game is you're killing stuff. You know, <laughs> you want to do something. You want to clear stuff off the board. I like it a lot. It adds a lot of fun stuff to the game. There is also new cards that have both a spirit and um, attack cost to them. So before it was either buying a card or killing a card. And now there's some where you have to do both, which I find very interesting. You get to keep those. It's got the the classic Ascension formula, which I think is a solid deck building formula that I've always enjoyed. But it adds just enough new to it that um, I, I was pleasantly surprised. It's like playing a good new Dominion expansion where you're like, oh, well, that makes the game a little fresh and interesting again. Whereas maybe I was getting a little bored with the old ones. So for me, it's a strong play. I still don't own a copy of Ascension, and I don't think I'll pick one up necessarily because they're around. People have them. They come out. It was a strong play. I would definitely play it again if it was at the table. All right. So the last game I want to talk about and the game that I really enjoyed playing, I could talk about this game to no end, is Mare Nostrum Empires. Now, this was a Kickstarter game that recently met all of its goals by far, and people are starting to get it in their hands and we got a chance to play this down at origins and let me tell you about this game there is a lot of goodness here so this game was originally released in 2003 and this new iteration of the game has some new rules some counters a brand new board and absolutely amazing components but we'll talk about that a little bit later so let me talk a little bit about the gameplay itself now this is an empire building game and by that i mean it has elements along the lines of just 4X games, civilization, and a little bit of that kind of dudes on a map kind of fighting out for different areas. And yet at the same time, it has some of the feel of a Seven Wonders as far as you're getting an empire to build and you have a great leader with you that starts off with the game. So whoever your leader is in that area, so let's say it's you know Queen Cleopatra of Egypt, you're getting her power to start with. You're starting in her particular area of the world. And you are able to kind of build up from there and able to pick up more leaders in the game, which happens to be one of the victory conditions. So beyond just the leaders, you're also able to build wonders. Now, it doesn't have to be your civilization specific, but those leaders and wonders lead you to a victory condition. Not just that, but you can also concentrate on culture and you could build the Great Pyramid, which you can do by cashing in 12 coins, which are hard to come by in the game because at the end of each round, you're only able to carry over two coins from the previous round. Or you can trade in 12 different materials that you'll be able to pick up from those different territories in the game that can also build you that Great Pyramid. In addition to that, you can also go military and occupy provinces of other empires in order to pick up their buildings. And then finally, you can exert power over the different tracks in the game. And in this game, there are three tracks. There's a trade leader, there's a cultural leader, and a military leader. So there is a number of different win conditions that you have to keep track of while you're playing this game. But it also allows you to kind of build any way you want. Maybe you want to go a little defensive and go cultural and pick up enough money or maybe you want to pick up materials and grow your markets. 
or maybe you want to go for a military victory. Either way, you're going to have to do a little bit of everything in this game, and the game starts you out with a really good starting position with materials and resources kind of ready to go. What's interesting about this game too is there's going to be a trading of materials and money each round. So the trade leader will make a decision as far as how many goods and money will be traded, and then you'll be trading with your neighbors. So while there is military in this game, you still have to trade with your neighbors, and that plays a very big part into this game because you don't want to give away your rare materials in order for you to make that odd set that will get you the different buildings and caravans that you're going to need for the game. But that may not that choice may not be up to you. So you have to kind of kind of weigh your options, conquer different areas to gain new materials, to gain new money, to gain supremacy in this game. Now, what I really enjoyed about this game in particular was the outstanding gameplay and the thoughtful strategic actions that are going to take place because you can't just win this game in one round. You have to build up. It's not a risk clone. You're not just kind of, you know, washing over other people. You have a limited number of buildings, you have a limited number of troops, and everything in this game is very thematic. So, you are getting a good amount of history, mythology, and kind of 4X gameplay with some strategic elements that kind of envelop a world economic building war machine. This is really kind of a little bit on the heavy side, but it's not so heavy that if you're not a heavy gamer that, you know, you shouldn't kind of take a chance at this because at least at the start of the game, you're kind of limited with your materials and even as you grow, the materials are still limited, but you're pulling in more resources. You really feel like you're going places. Uh, we really enjoyed this game and I got to say this game is a buy and it plays in a pretty short amount of time. It's about about 90 to 120 minutes of game time and it, the game plays three to five. But if you pick up the expansion, it plays two to six, which is the Atlas expansion, which brings in Atlantis, which is amazing because Atlantis is usually not in most games and it really does a lot for this game. So that is Mare Nostrum's Empire's high recommendation for this game. All right. Well, with that said... Let's get on to our feature review. And now, BGA's feature review. So for our feature review, we want to talk about Origins Game Convention BGA Awards Edition. Now, as we said at the beginning of the episode, Paul Nathaniel Mitchell suggested that it would be fun to highlight the new games that best fit several categories. And he suggested best new artwork, best new concept, best for a lot of players, and best long shot you hope will be good, but we even went further. So we're talking about a whole bunch of games that we played, and if they had to win a category, what category would they win? So Anthony, why don't you start us off? Okay, so the first one here is best artwork, and this is a this is an interesting choice, but I think the game is made much better and more interesting by the artwork, and we were both struck by it and had a long conversation with him about it, and that's Dead Last. This is the newest game from Smirk and Dagger. And it has this very cool kind of pop crime artwork that it really works. All these different colors really pop out. They're fun to look at the cards. There's not a lot of art here, but the art that is there is interesting. And the silhouettes are different for each player, and there's up to 12. So that's a nice thing. It could have been the same, which would have been annoying. Sure. So it's colorblind friendly, as someone at the table mentioned. Yes. Uh, Dead last. Yeah, love that Pulp Fiction pop art. All right, so for best concept... Potion Explosion. We talked about this earlier, and the idea of this Candy Crush 
marble system, which kind of like a pull and an explosion, and you can kind of put them down on these really nice-looking potion bottles. It's colorful, it's artful, and I think that this is one of these kind of really solid gimmicks that's going to really kind of make its way through the gaming industry, and I think it's really going to have mass appeal. So that's Potion Explosion. Yeah, absolutely on that one. Uh, So best for a lot of players. This also could have been dead last, but it is not. It is Codenames Pictures because Codenames is great for a lot of people. And it wins everything. It's going to win everything. (laughs) Uh, So up to eight people. I mean, I've seen people do 10 or 12 with Codenames. It's really up to you how big you want your group to be and how much arguing you want to have. But Codenames is always good for a lot of people. It is a party game after all. And like you said earlier, for people who English is not their first language, this is going to even work better and bring more people into gaming. All right, so for best long shot, our winner is Mystic Veil. Now, we didn't get a chance to talk too much about this game because there was a small amount of this game with a large amount of people. But basically what you're doing is you're doing a deck building game with actually not building the deck so much as you are building the cards. So you're actually going to have these long sleeves in which you're going to put cards. Now, the card itself is going to be a large piece of plastic, and it may have a little small picture that's going to denote certain special abilities and things that you can do in the game. And as you kind of build up these sleeves with these multiple little sections, you'll actually be building not just a deck, but you'll be building up each individual card in your deck. So you can kind of spread it out or you can kind of pack up a few cards. So we are hoping that this game is amazing because the cards looked a little banged up from their play and it's a pretty kind of complex idea for gaming. So for our best long shot, Mystic Veil. Yeah, I really want this to work. The fantasy version that they showed us at the back of the catalog looks really cool, but this one needs to do well first. So here's hoping that the cards don't get as scratched up as they look like they could. Yeah, hopefully the production kind of works with everybody and it, it plays well. Fingers crossed. All right, so best pure Euro. Uh, Origins is not a big Euro convention, and we honestly didn't see too many. But the one, as I mentioned earlier, that really stood out, obviously it does to a lot of people because it was nominated for Spiel des Jahres, it's Emotep. It is a point salad-ish of a game, lots of different ways to score points. It is a pretty thinky game if you want it to be. The theme is a little bit dryish slash tacked on depending on how you want to word that and it is a lot of fun with big chunky wooden bits what more do you need in a euro yeah i really enjoyed this game it's nice to see a euro that's solid compact and just kind of gets the job done and gets the heck out of there so yeah excellent pick the next one is for best components and that's marinostrom's empires now the the base game alone is worthy of this award. The graphic design, the artwork in this game, the components, really, really solid A-class materials. But if you happen to jump on the Kickstarter or even if you get it post-market, you'll be able to pick up some components that are really going to blow your mind. First off, there are buildings in this game, little plastic buildings that will actually be able to enhance the gameplay here as far as letting you know where the markets are, where the temples are, and all of these really cool pieces. But that's not it. It also has poker chip resources in the game. So there's a separate box that you can purchase for just the different materials and the money. And those poker chops are super heavy. So it's really nice to collect them. You feel like you're doing something. It feels like you're really trading. Outstanding component there. And finally, 
they have a map that rolls out. You got kind of like a soft map that you see for like magic players playing cards. It is enormous and it really makes you feel like you're playing this vast Mediterranean sea right in front of you. It's going to take up several tables, but man, you just kind of, you couldn't look away. It was the one component that you could pick up for a game that everybody stopped and took a, you know, a second look at because it was just outstanding. Yeah, this map was ridiculous. Yes. I don't think I have a table this big, but I want one now (laughs) for this map. There you go. Yeah, it's I, I can't remember what it costs. It was a lot of stuff because you can really trick this game out if you want to. Sure. But I'm I'm jealous of anybody who snagged it on the Kickstarter at the discounts they had. Although at the convention, I think they were the same price as the Kickstarter. Okay. Regardless, very very cool with a fully upgraded, updated version of this game. Definitely well worthy of this reward. Yeah, I haven't seen a mat like this before, or even the poker chips at, at this quality before that 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 went with a game. Bravo. All right, so the next one up, uh, this is a fun one. Best drunken thematic theming. What does that mean? Well, (laughs) this game is called Swinging Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge. Of course it is. (laughs) Because of course it is. And the game itself is you are trying to curry influence uh, in this lounge. I'm not sure. I don't remember the exact theme. It was a little convoluted. But the basic (laughs) idea is... You're trying to make friends with the coolest people in the lounge. The top end of that being the jive cats. There you go. That you can meet. You're basically going to be putting down your influence markers on the board during your turn. There are also cards that you will draw um, that match different numbers on the board. So you have to either have the card with that number or put two cards together or three cards or four, whatever it ends up being. Create that number to be able to place a chip down. Um, there's a variety of different ways to get points. None of this sounds drunken, right? Okay, so the drunken part is the cards themselves have drink recipes on them. Um, they are real drink recipes. And the way that you get the victory points is you have these little monkeys that hang on, wait for it, plastic martini glasses. So you have your own little plastic martini glass with your chips in it and your little monkeys hanging off there and your cards with their drink recipes so the the designer really wants you to go drink. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> and there was a drink recipe on every card that you play. Every single one. And it's Anthony is Anthony's not making this game up. It's not a drunken fever th- dream that he had. It's an actual real game. I can attest to that, my friends. <laughs> All right. So the best trick-taking slash Uno game is Mana Surge. Now, Mana Surge is kind of a little fun, quick trick-taking game that employs a couple of uno mechanics so basically someone starting the round with a particular card that has a particular class of magical power and a certain number and then you can play the class and a higher number or you can play the same number and based upon the cards that are in play special abilities special attacks take place and there are also uh, additional magical cards that will kind of throw the game into a little bit of flux so you can actually skip an opponent with your special ability or reflect a special ability back. So when I started playing it, I was like, ah, this is a trick-taking game. And then I said, oh my God, it's actually an Uno game. And I said, oh my God, what am I actually playing here? (laughs) But it is Mana Surge and it's actually a fun little cute game. All right, so the next one up here on the list uh, is just very simply Best Expansion. Uh, and this is actually uh, an expansion I didn't realize was coming out, and I'm sure it's been announced a while ago, but I was very pleasantly surprised by it. And that is the expansion for The Grizzled 
at your orders. Uh, they had a few copies for sale, Cool Mini or Not did, at Origins. They sold out pretty quickly. Um, but the it should be available at Gen Con, so if you're going to be there, it'll be out as well. But it adds a lot of things. It adds solitaire play, which makes me very happy. It is a co-op game. It should play solitaire in some form. It adds two-player play. The original game only plays three to five, so it's a little bit limited there. And then it adds mission cards that present players with different kinds of challenges based on the difficulty level that they want to play. So you can play easy, normal, or hard difficulty based on who's actually playing the game, which I think is very important uh, because this game is brutally difficult. (laughs) So if you're playing with people who've never played it before, it's nice to kind of ease them into it so you don't just lose really quick. Probably still going to lose, but you don't lose really quickly. That alone makes it kind of a very welcome expansion. All three of these are good additions to the game that I wouldn't necessarily have expected in the base game. A good sign of a good expansion. All right, so the best two-player filler game, and the winner is... Kingsmen. This is a quick two-player game in which there's going to be a line of cards in which you're going to be able to score victory points, take out monsters. It's got a fantasy theme to it. You're going to play cards based upon at what part and around it is in order to mess with your opponent, score yourself extra dice in the game. And yes, this game comes with some custom dice in which you are going to build a little dice pool yourself based upon those cards in which then you're going to roll against those particular cards in order to create a success, in order to take down a bad guy, and hopefully score enough victory points to win the game. It's quick, it's short, it's something you can play just kind of waiting for the next game. It's really a decent little game, and that's uh, Kingsman. Check it out. All right, so next up is the best cross-generational theming. What the heck does that mean? Okay, basically this is uh, Ninja Turtles. Dice Masters. And the reason it's best cross-generational theming and not just best theming is that there is the artwork from both the comic books, the Eastman Laird comic books, and the cartoon, the awesome, awesome, and yet horrible 90s cartoon. It's Dice Masters. The rules aren't different. It's it's still a fun game. It's a quick two-player game. This theme is great for kids, especially. This particular box, I think, is very cool because it's a standalone uh, you get all the cards that are currently available uh, for Ninja Turtles in the box. Um, all the dice you're going to need. So there's no limitation on the dice like you usually get in a starter set. It's all there off the bat for one basically board game price. But the important part here is the theming. It's Ninja Turtles, which are awesome. And my son's already interested in this. And you get all sorts of different you know takes on them from both very different art styles. So that creates kind of a very fun a very fun theme that works together very well within the box. So next award goes to Best Educational Slash Horror Theme Game. All right, so the next award is for Best Educational Slash Horror Theme Game. And the only winner that could actually fit that category is Killer Snails Assassins of the Sea. Now, this educational card game in which you are trying to support your snails in their lifestyle of domination and really scariness in which they are able to attack other creatures much, much larger than themselves using their own natural poison. No, this is not a fantasy game. These are real snails out there in the ocean that are really scary, and yet it comes together and it makes a theme that is both scary to know these things are true and yet greatly educational as we come to understand that their toxin could actually help humanity in some ways. So that is Killer Snails, Assassins of the Sea. Yeah, this one was 
It's very educational and very horrifying. Yes. Especially because they had that iPad set up where they're showing you video of these snails, like, obliterating these fish. Yes. Like, just <laughs> climbing out of the, the bottom of this tank and just destroying it. Uh, yeah, don't uh, go there, man. It's, it's just too horrible. Forget Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> it's killer snails. It's going to keep you up at night. It's going to drive the madness into you. Yeah, and I was joking, like, oh, they're rare at least. And they're like, no, these are very common. They're all over the place. People get hit by them all. I'm like, don't tell me that. I don't want to get hit by a killer snail. In the what end. was really funny was they when they, they kickstarted this game, they talked about the fact that if they reach a certain goal, they would release a world map where you could find these snails so you could avoid them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh, man. Yep, that's a fun one. Uh, it's a good game, too, so... It's got that going for it too. It's terrifying, educational, and entertaining. Um, so the next one up here is the best retheming. Chris already talked about this. I think this was hands down easy on this front. Star Trek Frontiers. I haven't played it yet, but following along with just its Mage Knight, which is already a fantastic, brilliant game um, with just so much going on with it. But the one thing about Mage Knight that always struck me is that you want to blow more stuff up. Uh, you are a mage, you have magic, you want to throw that magic at things. It's not really a game about blowing things up. There are things to blow up, but really it's about exploration. Um, you're trying to discover more lands, you're trying to find the the lost cities, you're trying to get a, honestly get around a lot of these obstacles instead of going through them. Star Trek Frontiers is a Star Trek's a perfect theme for this. Um, it's all about exploration. It's about finding those planets. It's about sending away teams down to the planet. That's something you can do in this game now. Going to the different outposts and recruiting new people or new technologies. Ah, it's perfect. The theming here makes more sense with Star Trek, I think, than just kind of the generic Mage Knight fantasy theme. So it probably takes, again, haven't played it yet, just speculating, but it probably takes a very good game and makes it even more thematic and fun. Hoping that's the case. Looking forward to it. All right. So our next award is Best Munchkin Clone. And the winner is Betabots. Now, this was a recent Kickstarter that's going to hit the mass market pretty soon. And what was interesting about this game is you get a you get a bot to start with. And you basically build up a tableau of powers and special abilities while you're able to play cards that kind of mess with other people as they try to bid for new upgrades. And kind of accomplish missions in the game. So it's very much like Munchkin. It does its own thing a little bit here and there. It's not necessarily a bad thing to it. But if you like Munchkin and you like bots, this game might be for you. That's beta bots. All right. So the next one here, best new mechanic for an old game. I think I might have said exactly this in my review. And that's Ascension X. Taking an, an old game, now six years old, Ascension, and adding a very good mechanic to it the day night cycle um, which i think adds a lot of strategy and depth to a game that is already a lot of fun but can get a little samey after a while so pretty excited to see that in any game especially one that's kind of getting on in years uh ascension x great new mechanic so next award is best unfinished game stellar conflict this game is you playing cards out on a table and in hopes of actually lining up your fire from the spaceship on your card to another ship hopefully bypassing their shields hitting their ship for enough enough damage to destroy them and score you points now once everyone places their cards out on the table very quickly because there's a time limit you'll take these cut rubber bands stretch them out and see if your line of fire actually hits another ship it's quick playing but it really doesn't fulfill its theme enough 
and it misses out on a great opportunity, and it's missing some components. So for best unfinished game, that's Stellar Conflict. Yeah, this was a interesting game. Um, honestly, it's it's one of those things when you're playing in real time, if there's no way to know where you're supposed to go. And when you get halfway through the scoring phase and you're like, oh, I got points from that. There's no way I could have planned that at all <laughs> yeah. because I didn't know that the someone was going to drop a ship in front of me that was going to blow this other ship up that was then going to blow this up. There's no real way to plan for it. It's like Galaxy Trucker in that way. But with less strategy somehow yes. than Galaxy Trucker. Exactly. <laughs> so, it makes Galaxy Trucker look like a strategy, yes. Um, but, I mean, it's short. So if you do like that kind of chaotic randomness, it might might be okay. But the rubber band thing. So, yeah, Stellar Conflict. Not quite there. Interesting idea, but not yep. quite there. Game experience, not so much a game. All right. So the next one up here on the uh, scale is Best Unnecessary Expansion. Now, this doesn't mean it's bad. And in this case, specifically, we haven't played it yet, but we were wondering why this exists. Alchemists, the Golem expansion. Uh, This specific expansion, and I can't remember exactly how many modules were here. It had to have been like five or six, because the demo of going through all this took about 15 or 20 minutes as he described everything. Now, that's not to say that the things he described didn't sound good. The problem is that Alchemists is already a very complicated game that takes a very long time to teach, and even longer for someone to really grasp and get a hang of. I feel like you have to play this two or three times to really wrap your head around it and be able to play it well. So adding four or five new modules to that seems a little unnecessary. We'll see how it plays when we get there, you know, and how much time it actually adds to the game. But you're talking about all new boards. You're talking about new mechanics thrown in there. You're talking about new resources, um, changes to the app. Uh, he did mention some of these can be swapped in for other ones, but still, it was just a lot of new stuff. And all we could think was, why? Why are you <laughs> adding to this game that already gives me a headache? That I love, but a headache. So, unnecessary, probably. It's like if you have an AP headache already, and then someone provides you with like ice-cold ice cream, and now you have a ice cream headache on top of your headache, it's just too much. It's just too much, man. We appreciate it, but it's just too much. So speaking of unnecessariness, um, best unnecessary game reprint, King of Tokyo's second edition. Why, oh God, why did they reprint this game? There was no reason to reprint this game. It's not that old. You're looking at almost identical components. You're looking at almost identical artwork. It's a little more realistic if that's possible when it comes to a monster theme game. The cards are almost identical. There's a couple of cards with changes here and there. The backs are going to be different, so you're not going to be able to merge these without putting sleeves on them. I just don't understand this. This game has already had mass market kind of appeal. It's out there. It just kind of annoys me as a hardcore, if there is such a thing, King of Tokyo, King of New York player, because I own all the stuff, and now you're putting out a second edition that doesn't really do anything different so much as it does really just kind of, I don't know, surplants, replace? I don't even know what to say about this, you know, second edition other than it's really unnecessary. Yeah, I think it makes sense if you're throwing it out into stores and you, you want to put a different edition, whatever. But debuting it at a game convention full of gamers who either have it or don't, but we both have it. I have no interest in the second edition. It doesn't make sense to me. Sure. And repl- why would you replace certain characters in the game, too? That just seems random to me. 
Yeah, I mean, they got rid of the Kraken, which is kind of a classic character. It's got the Cthulhu element to it, but it's also got this kind of Loch Ness monster kind of thing. And it was one of my favorite characters, and it, it seems kind of silly. Like, they switched Cyber Bunny for Cyber Kitty? Really? And the King of Tokyo, you know, regular base game has already been in the, you know, the big box stores already. So it's not like you're appealing to a new market. I just don't get this. And it just seems terribly, terribly unnecessary. So that's it for our Origins Game Convention BJ Awards Edition. Hopefully our awards kind of leads you to the games that you're looking to pick up next. We will provide more detail about these games in future reviews. So before we wrap up, we would like to send a thank you to everybody at Origins for hosting an amazing game convention. And especially our listeners out there that we came across during the convention. Many of you have came up to us and talked to us and told us how much you like the show. And in particular, a lot of you pointed out that you do miss us not doing a weekly podcast. And for our part, we miss talking to you each week. Anthony and I were talking at the convention how much we missed communicating out there each and every week. And we really want you to take advantage of our social media so that we can continue this conversation. Even though we're going month to month right right at this time, we want to have this conversation with you each and every day. So please check out our Facebook, our Twitter, check out our BoardGamersAnonymous.com website. Check out our guild on Board Game Geek. There's a lot of great conversations going there. And if someone's not talking about what you're talking about, please post there. Anthony and I, Daniel and Drew would love to hear more from you. So until next time, this is Chris. This is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table at Origins 2017 because you know we're going back.